so what we do every week at this point, before we, we get to this point, is we take a minute and just be quiet. And, and what happens in that moment, the Bible says, is that we quiet our lives and we can, we can hear better from God. We can, our, our, our souls, our lives, our, our hearts are in a better place to hear from God. In fact, they say, the, the Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. Have you ever heard that before? A still, quiet voice. And it's funny because we hear stories where he hasn't. He, he can speak really loudly. He, he could if he wanted to, but he chooses to speak quietly because he wants you to quiet your life so that you can hear him. And, and that's your choice right now. So that's what I'd like for you to do. That's what I'm going to do. I have a big responsibility over the next few minutes here, um, and uh, we need to get quiet and get right. So I'm going to give you about a minute just to be quiet, and um, if, you're, if you're a believer, if you believe in, in God and in Jesus, um, this is a good opportunity for you just to kind of take a deep breath and say, God, would you calm my heart? If you're not sure and you're still kicking the tires, this is still a good opportunity for you to just stop and kind of test the waters with God a little bit and just say, God, if you're there, would you speak? Would you, would you speak into my heart a little bit? So this is a good time for that. If you're listening online, um, be quiet just for about a minute, everybody in the room, and um, I'll close us in prayer. God, in the quiet of this room right now, we pause. If we had a big remote control for our lives, we'd hit the pause button. We choose right now in this moment to all the anxieties, all the frustrations, all the arguments, even if we have arguments with those sitting in the pew with us, we, we choose right now to put them on pause so that we can get new perspective on who we're supposed to be, on who you want us to be, on what we're doing here. God, I'm praying right now that you would clean me up, you would make me worthy of saying the things that I'm going to say today on your behalf, and that anything that I would have prepared that isn't what you want to say, that you would just kill it and keep it from coming out of my mouth, and that you would lead us today to the, the truth and the way you want us to live so that we can pursue the hope and the joy and the peace that you promised. And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series called Nice Serve. Um, this is the spark you've been looking for. And if you've, uh, if you've been listening, um, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that um, it has caused a little bit of a spark here in our church. Our attendance has ro- risen. Our giving has risen. Um, our our service has risen um, in this place in the last few weeks, and I, I think it's pretty amazing. You can ask the, the the leaders here and those of us who spend a lot of time here. There is a spark in the building in this last month or so, and I believe it, it's because we are starting to talk about the things that God wants us to do in order to provide the spark in our personal lives that we've been looking for. And, and what I mean by that is that you know you, you've all had this experience, and I I've, I had this this week. I wake up in the morning um, with the flu in the hotel room and just feel like I can barely open my eyes. 
And you don't even have to have the flu to have that feeling, that you can't remember what day it is because it just seems like yesterday is the same as tomorrow and today is just another day. And if you're not careful, you kind of get to this rhythm of life where it just kind of feels like, what am I doing? And the truth is that, that God built into each of us from the very beginning of time, he built into each of us this need for a spark plug, this need for a missing piece in our life that we can't really function the way that we were intended to function without this little spark plug. And it, it is faith. It is grow, a growing faith in Jesus and in God that is that spark plug. So no matter what you believe today, no matter how close you are to God, if you feel like you're far from God today, um, if you've come today and you feel like somebody kind of drug you here um, and you feel far from God, you need to know that the thing you've been missing, the thing you've been kind of wondering why the pieces aren't fitting together, is that growing faith. It's that spark in your life. If you've been around a long time, you've been in church a long time, and you're kind of just going through the motions, it's just another Sunday to you, and you're starting to get a little bored, maybe that's the, that this is the spark you've been looking for, that your faith has sort of stalled um, and isn't growing. What I'm really excited about this series is to, is to be able to talk about how to continue that spark plug, how to keep that going um, in the right way. And, and the truth is, it starts with four words that uh, are really controversial. And if you've got teenagers at home, this is, these are the four words that they will be confused by the most. Um, and they are these, it's not about you. You know, if you can get this into your mind, I, I was just talking to my son, um, who is seven years old, um, and really feels like the world revolves around him, I think, most of the time, and is shocked to find out when it doesn't, um, that, that this is probably one of the most important things I can do as a parent. One of the most important things I can do as a parent is not just discipline him, it's not just lead him, into, it's to make him understand that God has a big plan for the earth, big plan for the world, big plan for history, and it's not all about him. Now the problem is we raise our kids in a way that if we're not careful, we accidentally make them feel like it's all about them. Our whole life ends up revolving around driving them to the practice or to to school or to the latest sleepover. Our whole life revolves around uh, filling the Christmas tree. It revolves around the, the, the birthday parties. I'll never, I, I'll never understand some of the birthday parties that go on. Um, I, my daughter goes to a lot of birthday parties where people rent out entire facilities for their 10-year-old daughter, you know, they, they just like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, you know, and you go in and the, the, often the little girl is just like, it's another day, you know, there's just, this is what mom and dad do, they surround me with all this stuff, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with throwing a big party for your, your kids, but at some point in, your, in their life, you're doing a disservice, and you know this well, if you're a parent, you're doing a disservice to your kids to make them feel like that they are the center of the world. If we can get this in our minds, the problem is as adults, we tend to do this as well. And here's the thing today. If you're far from God, if you feel like faith is sort of a low priority in your life, if when you talk um, when, as, as a couple, if you in your house, husband and wife sit and talk about things and faith is not on the list, it's, bill, it's bills, it's, it's vacation, it's things, but faith is not on the list, and, you're, and faith moves down the priority um, in your life, you end up slowly kind of drifting into making life about you. And when you do that, you lose the spark plug. You lose the spark in your life that God intends for you to have. Because his number one priority for you, his number one prior for, priority for you, believe it or not, is not happiness. Did you know that? Because happiness, the way you and I feel like happiness should work, doesn't always end with happy, right? The, what, what you would call happy doesn't always end the way you wished it would have. 
and God knows better for you. So what he wants most for you is a growing faith because he knows that's what leads to true peace in your life. And this growing faith begins to change as we get older, it begins to grow. If we're not careful, it stops growing. Now, one of the things that uh, we've, we've talked about around here a lot is the problem when we grow up um, with some of the Bible stories at church. If you grew up with Bible stories at church and you grew up with the, the felt board and all the little um, uh, flannel graph pieces that went on it, you know, you get this cartoon view of your faith. And you start with Noah's Ark and you start with some of the big stories and, and and those are great as kids, and they kind of base, give you a basis of who God is and what God is in your life. But then as we grow as adults, nothing changes. And the only picture we have of God is this ark that was a cartoon that our Sunday school teacher gave us. And, and if we're not careful, our faith stays in this place where it doesn't work in our lives. And i got to tell you, as a preacher here at New Life, one of the most frustrating things in the world is to be in a place ten years and see people whose lives and whose faiths have not grown. You know what would happen if you, had, if you had babies. We're doing baby dedication today. If you had a baby, and such a cute little baby, and you, you often say things like, boy, they're just growing too fast. You say that a lot. Boy, that baby's just growing too fast. I'd just like to put a brick on their head. Or I, just, I say this to my son all the time. You've got to stop growing, you know. But the truth is, he gets to be three or four years old, and he's not walking he gets to be seven, eight years old, and he's not growing. There's, a, there's something wrong, right? There's something wrong. And, and as a parent, as someone who loves this child, as much as it's hard to kind of see him grow up, the truth is I, I want to see him grow up. I want to see him get stronger. Right now he's all skin and bones. We call him Skinny Ben around our house. And we can't get him to eat the way he should. And I don't know, he's, he's fine, he's, he's healthy. But I just always want him to have more meat on his bones. And there's even that, this frustration in me. Of how do I get meat on this kid's bones? Because here's the truth. When I look at him and I see this skinny little kid, my feeling is I'm not doing my job. Because this dude should be bigger every day. He should be growing every day. He should be stronger every day. And here's the truth about you and your faith. When God looks at you, no matter where you're at today with your faith, no matter how you feel about God, even if you're kicking the tires, you're not even sure you believe God exists. God looks at you and he says, man, I, I'm looking for growth. I want to see them grow up. They've stunted. In fact, the last time they even grew was kindergarten when they heard about Noah's Ark. Can you imagine as a parent looking down at a child who is in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s and has stunted their growth from the time they were a baby? The truth is, if you're here today and you have feel stunted in your growth in faith and you have not moved in your faith towards God, you need to know it is the spark that you've been missing. It's the thing in your life that God intends. With growing faith, just a little bit at a time, every single day, your life has the spark that God intends for it to have. And here's the thing about faith. Faith without anything happening, just faith with showing up on Sunday morning, sitting in an orange pew, singing songs that are words you don't normally say on a daily basis, those kinds of things, just coming in, showing up, saying the right things, um, even talking in the right way, even just reading your Bible is not enough. In fact, faith without action, the Bible says, is dead. Without doing something with your faith, there's death. James says it this way. Now, before we read into this today, I want you, I want to, you to know a little bit about the guy who wrote this. The guy who wrote this name is James. 
um, appropriately named. Um, his name is James, and he was the brother of Jesus. Now, the thing I love about the book of James, this is my favorite book in the Bible, and the reason, in fact, if you come to me and you've never read the Bible before, this is where I'll have you start. Um, James is a, a really, really good understanding of, um, of how God wants us to live as Christians, and it's a really neat way of, of kind of looking at the Christian faith. Now, th- this doesn't include the story of Jesus, which is part of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but this is a great place to get an understanding of after you're a Christian, what does God expect from you, and how does, how does a Christian behave? And James is a great person to write about Jesus, and he's a great person to write about being a Christian because this was the brother of Jesus, and I often think about James as one of the reasons I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and here's why. James wasn't sure about Jesus for a while. Now, you can imagine if you were the brother of a person who said they were God, <laughs> walked around and said they were God, wouldn't you be like you would, are with your brothers and sisters? <laughs> right. Right? And there was a point where James wasn't sure about Jesus. But after Jesus resurrected, after he died on the cross and rose from the grave, his brother was his biggest fan. <laughs> This was, this was a guy that then became one of his biggest believers because he saw exactly what happened with the resurrection, and he believed. And my, my, only, my feeling about James is, man, if, he, if Jesus' brother believes in this stuff, he must really be, because I can tell you my brother would, would be the last one to believe that I was the son of God. I can tell you that. Um, but James says some really good things to a group of, of Christians who have, have sort of lost their spark. They have become a, a complacent group of people. They start fighting amongst each other. This is what happens, by the way. You can tell when faith is dying is because people start looking at each other and fighting, picking at each other. They start, um, they start complaining about the songs that are sung on Sunday mornings. They start yelling because um, they see dirt on the floor in the church. Um, or like crackers where there are actually things happening in the church. They start getting upset with each other over silly little things. You can tell this is how faith dies because faith with action is so busy they don't have time to argue. <laughs> you don't have time to yell at each other because you don't have time for that. But James looks and he, he looks at this group of people who is, is getting complacent and he, he starts to point it out and here's what he says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? You know, I have, I have a friend who, um, when his mother died just recently, um, he called me out of the blue. I haven't seen him since high school. Um, and he called me out of the blue and said, hey, would you, do, would you do her funeral? And it's a really awkward situation. I don't know what her faith situation is. I, didn't, I felt just compelled to, to do this um, funeral. So I went, went to the house and I said, so what is the situation with faith in the house? He said, oh, she had a lot of faith. You should see the size of her Bible. And he said, it is this big. It's been sitting on her table in her living room since I was a little kid. She, is so, she has big faith. You should see the size of her Bible, <laughs> I wanted to say. In my experience, the bigger the Bible, the smaller the faith. Because <laughs> you're compensating for something, right? right? The, the people that I know that seem to have the biggest faith are the ones who carry the Bibles that fit in their pocket because they want them with them all the time. They need them around, you know, and they've got to have them, and they're, they're tattered and they're crazy. The truth is, it's not about how big your Bible is. It's not about how often you read it. It's not about how many times you show up to church on Sunday morning. It's not how many songs you sing. It's not how many times you serve in the nursery. None of those things prove faith. And James says it. He says, can that kind of faith, that kind of faith where you just talk, can that save anyone? <laughs> 
Now, what he says right here catches people's attention because people were starting to follow Jesus because they felt like it was a way to get saved. You know, you've heard that with church, right? People get scared to death, they get scared of hell, and they come to church because they're scared. And the truth is, James has two things he means by this. Can this save anyone? He first means you must not really know what this is about if you feel like all it is is coming to church. You must not really be saved. You must not really feel what God has given you if if you don't provide any action to this. But then he also means if you don't do something with your faith, the others around you who are lost, those around you who are missing out on Jesus, aren't going to learn anything. They're not going to get anything. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. That never happens to us here, right? Did you just picture the sign that you'll see right here in the spring as soon as it starts getting warm, the cardboard signs that are all over. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And literally the the words there in the Greek are this. What kind of faith is that? What kind of faith is it that talks about serving someone? What kind of faith is it that feels sorry for someone but doesn't actually move to action? James is painting a picture here that could get him killed because the religious system of this day is built on people. The religious system that that James is, is combating against is built on religious leaders whose job it is to, to kind of make things look good. They love the religion, but they hate the faith. They hate to actually do something. They just like to talk about it. And, and James is flying right in the face of that and basically saying it isn't faith at all if it doesn't lead you to do something. He says this, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now, that might be a surprise to you today. Because when we talk about faith, when we talk about faith around here, when you hear about faith at church, you kind of feel like that's the point, right? That's what we do. That's the point of, of all of this. But the truth is, according to James and, and according, to everybody, according to Jesus in the Bible, faith is not enough. In fact, faith is not enough for your life as it sits right here, right now. That God intends for you to do more than believe. In fact, James goes on in another scripture and says this, you think that all God wants is for you to believe? Guess what? The demons believe, and they shake because they believe. So if you believe and you don't act, here's what James says. This is, hey, take this up with James, not me, okay? If you believe and you don't act on what you believe, you don't have something to show for what you believe, you and the demons are right about the same place. That's what James says. He says, if you don't act, then your faith is useless. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So I'd like to ask you today, how useful is your faith? How useful is it to you? How useful is it to God? How useful is it to those around you? I've got a friend right now who's um, going through just an absolutely awful time um, and not a Christian, um, knows that I am, and is really, I think, interested. Um, in fact, if you've ever been around, if you've been around uh, people who aren't Christians a lot, you know that when things get hard, um, they tend to be more um, 
concerned, more interested in the life of a Christian. They really do, especially if you've treated them nicely and haven't pushed them too hard. And I've got a friend um, that I work with who is going through a really, really hard time and is not a Christian, um, says he's an atheist. And what he's looking for right now is, is useful faith. He's looking at me because what he's seen, and we had this conversation last week, he said, so what would you do if you were me right now? <laughs> going through the things that I'm going through. He's got deaths in his family, he's got sickness, his wife is really ill. And he said, what would you do right now if you were me? And I said, I'll tell you a couple things I would do. And I said, I, I, I know this is not going to surprise you because you know what I believe, but the first thing I would do is I would, I would start every day praying. And, and then I would not just stop I would be praying all day long and then the next thing I would do is I would dive into my church family because that's that's the place that I get strength from the people that I have I mean God gives me strength in the mornings and then I I get that from the people and and he said now that is the first time that church has ever seemed useful to me and I went useful that's the word I'm preaching Sunday the truth is this the thought of when times are hard that this thing applies to my life, that it actually changes the way I live my life when things are hard. When things are hard for my friend, I drop the things that are going on in my life and I serve them. That is useful. That God looks at and says, yes, that is faith. You see the difference? So we've started life groups around here at New Life because we believe it's what God wants for us. We don't know what they are. There's still, if you're coming on Wednesday nights, you guys are pioneers. We're still trying to figure this out. Some nights it's amazing, and some nights it's a little awkward. We don't really know what it is. It's like, it's like we're dating a little bit, you know? <laughs> like, it's just a, it, 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 but we know it's what God wants, and so we continue to do it, and we're going to figure this thing out. And I, the reason I, I know it works is because of, of some of the things that have already happened. When we pray for each other and when, when relationships start to be built, people's lives change. And when we can drop the things in our life and realize the world is not about us, not all about us, then it, it begins to, to make faith real. And that's what James is talking about today. I'd like to ask you today, how useful is your faith? And if you're digging in today, if you're just kicking the tires, if you're listening online, we have a lot of people listening online who, who grandma said, please listen to this, or mom said, for my birthday, would you listen to this sermon? Um, but you're not sure you believe. This is a great opportunity for you to not engage in Jesus. Don't even engage in Jesus until you realize that engaging in Jesus is more than faith. It's more than just believing something. It is acting on what we believe. It's doing something. It's living differently. And if you're just kicking the tires, this is a perfect opportunity for you to know that God never intended for us to just talk about our faith. He never intended for us to just make nasty posts on Facebook. He never intended for us to, to, to be little people with the Bible. That his intent for us was always to act on our faith. James goes on, he says this. He says, those who consider themselves religious, and that is those who consider themselves in. The word religious is, is a bad connotation in our in our society. The truth is, I don't really want to be religious. Um, I, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I don't believe Jesus was religious. religious religion is just, it's just things you do to pass the time and to make yourself feel better. The truth is, what James has here is more those who feel like they're in with God. If you feel like you're in with God, 
He says, those who consider themselves in with God and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and they're not in with God. Those who just talk, who love to just get it out there, who love to pretend, those who love to talk about their faith but don't like to do anything about it. And then he continues, and he says, religion or being in with God is really pure and faultless, or uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is what God wants from your life and from your faith. Look at this. Now, wouldn't you expect this to be pray until you can't pray anymore? Give until you can't give anymore. And wouldn't you expect it to be something very spiritual and something to do with the spiritual disciplines? But here's, this is what God wants from your life. This is what God expects religion to be. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's idea of church. That our job here at New Life, is it to love each other and take care of each other? Absolutely. But so that we can be strong enough to go out and take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. So here in this church, you will not hear us talk about Maybe I shouldn't say that. I hope you don't hear us talk about, in this church, those who are less fortunate, being lazy. I hope you don't hear us talk about those in in this community who are struck with poverty, who may be on government assistance, who may be dealing with some kind of a problem in their life. I hope you don't hear us talk about them with bad eyes. Because the truth is, They are the reason God made the church. They are the reason your faith exists, is to to do something for those who are less fortunate. The idea of orphans and widows at this time in history, these are the people that were left out. These are the, the outside people. So if you were to go to a party at this point in history, um, orphans and widows would not be there. If you were to go to a restaurant, There would be no orphans and there would be no widows. If you were to go to um, an event like a concert or a big church event, most of the time there would be no orphans and no widows. These were the last people invited. They were the grossest people on earth. They were the people who had nothing to give you back. These were the people that God says, this is what your life is about. In fact, Jesus was riding by Jerusalem one day and he, he looks out over Jerusalem. I'm almost done, I promise. I just want, I, I want you to understand where, where God is with this. He rode out over Jerusalem, and as I drive by, I come up Paragon Road um, and then come north on 67 um, from Bloomington every, every day. And when I, come, when I hit Paragon Road there, right in Paragon, or Paragon Road in 67 right there in, in Paragon, come by the bank, I, I think about this often. Not every Sunday, but I did this Sunday because I knew I was going to preach this. And I think about it often, about Jesus riding up over Jerusalem and seeing the city. And Jesus just stops in front of the city. And when he sees the city, he doesn't see it the way everybody else does. He sees the broken people. He sees the orphans and the widows. He sees the brokenness and those who need God so badly. And Jesus does this thing that the the Greek word, um, we can't translate in English very well. The word is, is, in Greek, is my my favorite Greek word. You've probably heard me say it before if you've been around here very much. The word is splachna. Um, It's fun to say and it's gross. Splachna. Sorry, Mick, if I spit on you. Um, The word is splachna. And it says Jesus, he cried so deeply 
the word is splachna, and the, the word literally means guts. It means down in the deepest part of Jesus' guts, he wept. And that is that he had in his heart and in his mind the things that God had. This is the way, this is the religion that God intends for us to have. And the truth is, growing faith always pursues those in need. So I want to ask you today, I'm not going to go too much longer in our sermon because we've got other things going on today, but I want to ask you before we get too far, who's in need around you? Who's in need? we got mamas and babies in the house today. There's lots of needs there. we got all kinds of poverty in our area. And pretty soon it's going to get warm outside, and I promise you, I promise you, you're going to start running into people in need. At Walmart, you're going to run into people with cardboard signs. You're going to run into opportunities to serve people. Now, your, your move towards them will say a lot, not just about you as a Christian, but about your faith. The question is, will you say what James said that often faith people say? Think something like this. Oh, I hope they get some food. Oh, that's a shame. Or the, the most famous Christian saying of all, just drives me nuts, bless their heart. Like that means anything. Usually what it means is, boy, I'm glad I don't have to do anything. I want to give you an opportunity today during this service just to, just to meet with God a little bit today. And say, what are the needs in my life? Now, if you're here and you're kicking the tires on the God thing and you're not even sure what's going on, I want to give you a chance today to know that this isn't your requirement um, because you're not a Christian. You're kind of off the hook. If you're not a Christian today, you're kind of off the hook for this. But if you, if you aren't a Christian, you've got to try it anyway. Because this, living like this, being able to look for needs in your life, whether it's in the cubicle next to you at work, maybe it's the guy next to you that uh, is going through something really awful in his life and, and you're so consumed with the things going on at your job that you have forgot to step outside and look at yourself. Maybe it's, maybe it's the waitress um, at the restaurant. My dad is so good at this. We, we uh, go out to eat at Cracker Barrel a lot. We were there last night. And, you know, the waitress... Um, came up and I had the flu and I was just wanting some oatmeal and they didn't have any oatmeal and and I you know I was kind of grumpy and they brought Rish's dinner late and it was just kind of a grumpy time you know and I'm not grumpy very often but I was grumpy and I, I said something about the service and I looked over at my dad and there was just this moment of like wait a minute who who are we here he didn't say that to me but I know the look from my dad it's like you know what it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how well you were served you treat her the same way. It doesn't matter how fast she brought our food. She, she's in need. And she began to, you could just tell, as, as soon as I looked at my dad like that, I, I looked over at her the next time she brought, and I, I saw her face for the first time. Have you ever done that before, where you're, you treat somebody so poorly and so much like the help that you didn't look at their face? I know you did. It's not just me. Where you treat somebody so bad at Walmart, you're so mad, you've been in line for so long, and the person says hi, and you're like, hi, and you just keep going, and then you realize, I don't even know if that was a man or a woman. This happened to me, and we were in the restaurant, and I looked over at Dad, and I saw this look on his face like, we don't treat people like that. We don't talk about that. And I, when she came over, I looked up at her, and I realized this is a broken girl. She is broken. And she knows that I'm mad. 
And all I have to do is say one thing, make one little joke, and it will ease her tension. The question is, see, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving her $1,000. I'm just giving her a moment of my life. For one moment, I had to realize the world wasn't about me. And I had to say to make a joke, and I just made a little joke for a moment. And she looked at me and totally took this big, deep breath and almost laughed at the moment because there was so much tension that I got to break at that moment. Maybe that's all it is for you today. Maybe there's something bigger in your life. But God wants you to know that whatever it is, it's not about you. If you could just leave here today with that, if you could just leave here today with that, that the, the most important thing in your life is that God has put you here for other people. And they, he's put them here for you. So you're going to get taken care of if you do this right. Band, you guys can come up. I'd like to ask you today, how useful is your faith? How useful is your faith? A lot of us, um, especially those of us who are older in the place, I say those of us, but some of you are older than me, um, have retired from being a Christian, sort of. You just kind of just sit and do the church thing. The truth is your faith is intended to be useful and it's intended to grow every single day of your life until you can't take another breath. That's what God intends. And if you've been missing it, it's the spark you've been missing. It's the thing you've been looking for in your life. Look for those in need this week. This is the proof of your faith. Now, you know today is our baby dedication today. I'm going to call you up in a little bit um, after this song we sing. But if you're a parent or a grandparent in the room today, I just need you to know this, that you have an opportunity to raise up a different generation of, of kids. You have an opportunity right now to raise up a generation of kids who understand that church isn't all God wants from you. That just showing up at church, that just being here on a Sunday is not what God intends for our life. In fact, that guilt is not what God intends for our life. That what God really wants most for our life is a growing faith. Today can be the day for you. As a family, you can stop ignoring faith and start making it top priority in your house. I'm going to give you a chance today to sing this song. This song's called Sanctuary. It's a song we've been singing for a long time around here. Um, and here's what it means. It, it, sanctuary is sort of a churchy word. Um, but what it means is that, that God has, has prepared each of us. He has created an opportunity for each of us to be a church, to be a place where people are served, where, people, where God can be represented. So today, if, if you've been moved by this sermon, if God has moved you in a way to, to start to see the needs around you, would you sing this song today? And just sing this song. It, it goes like this. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And it's, it's a big word, but the idea is this. Lord, prepare me to be ready to lift my eyes up and see the needs around me. See, the amazing thing about God is that he has created this system from the beginning of time. This is the way he's intended for it to be. So that peace you've been looking for, that thing that's at the very bottom of your soul that you've been itching for for so long, guys, look at me. This is it. It's not a 401k. It's not a house. It's not a car. It's not a boyfriend. This, the kind of life that continually looks to grow in faith by serving others, this is the spark you've been looking for. 
I just challenge you today to, to pray, God, prepare me to be a sanctuary, to be a place where people can see God. Would you stand up and sing this with us today?